There are certain skills, critical skills, that you need, that we all need, not only to get ahead in our lives, but also to ensure a successful path forward for our children and for the survival of our constitutional republic. You're listening to All About Skills, where we discuss the eight critical skills you need to succeed and how CEOs, placement directors, executive recruiters, and career-minded individuals utilize them to propel themselves to a higher level of understanding and achievement. Get ready to learn master and excel with your host Charlie Jett. Hey thank you Ann and welcome to All About Skills. This is a weekly series of programs about the skills that your children and grandchildren will need, skills that you need to get ahead in your career, and those that we all need to function effectively for our constitutional republic to survive. My name is Charlie Jett and I'm coming to you from our studio high above the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in beautiful downtown Chicago. Now the last program was the introduction to this series where we covered what the critical skills are, where they came from, why they're important, and how they were derived. Now this week we're going to cover the communication skill. So let's get started. These are the most important skills necessary for success in the business world. In fact, Communication skills are ranked first among a job candidate's must-have skills and qualities, according to a recent survey conducted by the National Association of Colleges and Employers. Simply put, communication skills include the ability to get ideas out of your head and into the heads of others, and get ideas out of others' heads and into your own head through reading, writing, listening, and speaking. I remember when I first came to Chicago. My mentor, the late Gaylord Freeman, who was chairman of First Chicago, told me that communication skills are learned skills. You just have to practice writing, getting up to speak, reading carefully, and above all, shutting up and listening to what others have to say. He was right. I practiced my skills as a speaker and soon was giving talks to MBA students at the nation's best business schools about how to get ahead in the corporate world through gaining, practicing, and using the critical skills. After building confidence as a speaker, I was able to talk without notes, or if I did have notes, they were simple dot points to remember. I found that if I spoke this way, I could think on my feet. Otherwise, if I had a written speech, my mind would be turned off and all I could do was focus on reading the words. The former was much more effective and kept me tuned in to my audience. Now let's talk about the quality of the written or spoken words. It's important to point out that high quality speaking and writing skills are independent of the quality of what is being spoken or written. You can find this out easily by listening to many talk show hosts, radio and television, hosts who are extremely effective at communicating. That doesn't mean that what they say actually makes any sense, or in fact is even true. They get their points across, though, right or wrong, and they can be very effective in influencing thought and attitudes on a massive scale. One needs to apply some effective analytical skills to what these people say. Is their premise or hypothesis true? Are their facts correct? Are they starting with a conclusion and cherry-picking facts, true or not, 
to support their argument. Most of the time, gullible listeners will accept what these people say without question. Now, politicians are particularly skilled in making their points and trying to convince others either to contribute money or secure their vote through persuasive speaking or writing. Political advertisements are especially guilty of cherry-picking a fact, taking something out of context, and making an articulate and persuasive argument based on faulty premises to get votes. One can easily think of famous politicians, presidents, senators, governors, and so forth, who were adept at communicating to the public. In a sense, the most important skill of a politician is communications to voters, not the quality of what he or she believes. The very same thing can be said about the written word. The underlying premises or hypotheses may be entirely false, but individuals can write to explain and persuade readers that something is actually true or that some sort of action needs to be taken, whether it's right or it's wrong. One needs to keep this in mind when reading opinion articles, newspapers, or magazine articles where the intent is to persuade, not necessarily inform. One should also be aware of written advertisements that are carefully crafted to influence a purchase decision. These can be very convincing, despite their short length. Now let's talk about speaking. You know, giving a speech can be a terrifying experience, unless, of course, you've practiced the art and have gained confidence in front of an audience. One of the most important courses that one can take in high school is speech. An almost equally important activity in which a high school student can participate is debate. The primary benefit of these experiences is that one is forced to get up in front of an audience and communicate his or her thoughts, whether those thoughts are from a prepared speech or are extemporaneous. A secondary but almost equally important benefit is that the risks are low. One can make mistakes and others in the class are trying to gain the same experience. The mistakes in that environment, being low risks, are ones that an individual can learn a lot from. Years ago, I had a short paperback book entitled Say a Few Words. I can't remember the author, and I've tried to find the book time and time again with no success. I would love to give proper attribution to that author, and I will if I can ever find him or her. But the advice given in this helpful book was very simple using the first letters of the four words, say a few words. The letters stand for the following. S, start with your idea. You have a topic in mind, state clearly what you're gonna talk about. A, accentuate your idea. Tell the audience why your topic is important to them. F, for instance, your idea. Give your audience two or three instances or examples of something pertinent to your point. W. Wind up with your idea. Wind up by telling your audience again what you were talking about and why it is important to them. This is clever and useful advice and I have often used it. And it's especially useful when you are called upon to talk to a group to say a few words, so to speak. It's quite easy to jot down a few words about your topic, why it's important, a couple of examples, and wind up by restating what you intended to talk about all along. It helps you keep your mind clear in front of an audience. A useful tip about using examples 
is to use the rule of three. One of the senior partners in a consulting firm once told me that when speaking to a group or giving examples, you should say, there are three examples of what I'm talking about. Or, I would like to share three things with you. You know, there might be three things, and there might not be three things. There might be only two. Or there might be four, or even more. doesn't matter. You can use your fingers when you speak and say, first, and then second, and so on. The audience will pay attention to what you are saying, of course, but they will also be focused on counting the reasons. I'll admit it's sort of a crutch, but the technique is very effective. And when giving off-the-cuff remarks, it works. Listening and speaking. Using these two communication skills is especially important in a meeting where you find yourself listening to others and periodically commenting or making your own points. The Harvard Business School specializes in the development of these two skills, and a student is thrust into an environment three times a day where he or she must face these challenges in discussing a case study along with very smart and often pleasantly hostile classmates. Now think about it. You're surrounded in an amphitheater by 70 or so other students, most of whom are smarter than you, and you're called upon to speak. You speak your thoughts about a case and may or may not be challenged by other students. Alternatively, you can listen to other students speak their minds and then challenge them. It's a high-pressure environment, to be sure, but a wonderful forum to practice and gain the experience of listening and speaking. Those skills will come in handy in the future when you are in a tense company meeting and are participating in discussing some topic that is vitally important to your organization. Reading. Most of us were taught how to read in elementary school. We would have a reader and the teacher would call upon different students to read a page or two out loud. That's the way reading was taught. The reading process we experience can be described as follows. Our brain sees the words, sends the words to our voice box, our voice box articulates the words, our ears hear their wo those words, and ultimately that information is passed along into our brain. This is true whether we read aloud or not. Years ago, I took a reading course called Evelyn Wood Reading Dynamics. I had heard that President John F. Kennedy had taken that course and had the ability to read several hundred, if not a couple thousand words per minute. Impressed by that knowledge, I signed up for the course. The secret I learned from the Evelyn Wood course rests in where the information on the page goes. The theory was that your eyes can see the words, or groups of words, and bypass the voice box and ears and send the information directly to your brain. You go directly from the eyes to the brain. That sounded interesting and I first had doubts that it would work. But through practice it does. One needs to hold the book in such a way so as to pass the hands slowly over the page as the eyes scan the words and groups of words. You read down the page, not from left to right. Then periodically one needs to write down in a special shorthand the main ideas learned from the few pages that he or she has read. This is supposed to enhance comprehension of the material, and it works. This takes a lot of practice, however, and through the six or so weeks of the course, the class practiced and practiced and discussed the process. My own reading speed increased to about 2,000 words per minute with little loss. 
and perhaps even a little gain in comprehension. Now there are hundreds of reading and reading comprehension courses that one can take to improve speed reading and comprehension. The best course of, is the one that will work for you and of key importance in increasing reading speed is to not speak each of the words you are reading as you remember doing in elementary school. Learn how to make that information go directly to your brain. Now let's talk about writing. I'm not sure if writing is a natural skill or one that is learned. I suppose it's a little of both. Many people seem to have a knack for writing. Their thoughts just flow out on paper clearly and persuasively. Others take courses in the skill and even with that effort can't seem to write a coherent sentence or paragraph. The skill of writing is vitally important in all phases of life. Writing is an important factor on how you will be judged in your work. Writing makes your thoughts and ideas visible. Writing expresses who you are as a person. Writing is a way you can persuade others to accept your ideas or arguments. Writing gives you a way to express your analytical skills visually and persuasively. Writing is used in contracts. Writing memorializes your thoughts permanently. Writing is essential in the business world, especially management consulting. And writing will help you as a student to get better grades in school. There have been many efforts to create lists of the greatest writers of all time, and none of these lists are alike. All of them, however, contain men and women who mastered the skill and were enduring communicators of their thoughts. The important thing to learn about writing skills is that your skills should effectively communicate your thoughts. It is more important for you to develop your own style of writing clearly than it is for you to try to emulate some other's writing style. Create your own style. Communicate with the written word who you are through what you write and how you write. I remember clearly the writing classes in elementary, middle, and high school. The exercise I remember most was the process of diagramming sentences. Knowing the terms subject, predicate, compound sentences, when to use a semicolon and so forth were important. I might have been a glutton for punishment at the time, but I actually enjoyed deconstructing a sentence and see it, seeing how it could be diagrammed. My writing style was considerably affected by my experience as a management consultant. There I learned how to communicate a conclusion clearly and without room for error. The finished sentence usually appeared to be very simple in structure and content. However, such sentences were extraordinarily difficult to write. When presenting a final report to a client, for example, we actually would look at the screen and read the sentence exactly as it was written. The argument for doing this was that the sentence had been very carefully crafted to express exactly the conclusion as determined by the team. So when giving the presentation, only a fool would say any other words other than those that were written exactly. A good tip in writing is to read what you have written out loud to someone else who can serve as a constructive critic. If at any time you read the sentence and then find yourself saying, in other words, 
then a good idea is to use the other words instead of what you wrote. You probably should have used them in the first place. Any writer who wants to communicate his or her thoughts should remember one important thing, and that is the fact that they, or I, or you, cannot write final copy on the first sitting. The importance of editing is crucial. Editing is one of the absolute factors that will influence your writing. It will influence your ability to communicate your thoughts clearly. A good edit will help you. By definition, editing is critical, so it's not uncommon for anyone writing to avoid it like the plague. But you need it. You need someone to take a look at your work critically and make constructive suggestions to help you produce a final product that will really communicate your thoughts. Reading and writing. While they were no fun to do at the time, the best example of an exercise to do was what we had to do at the Harvard Business School in the written analysis of a case, or WAC as they were called. For a WAC project, for which there were about six during the first year, we were given a case study consisting of some business issue in marketing, finance, strategy, manufacturing, or whatever. And we had to read the case and write a coherent analysis of that case over a two to three day period. These were gut-wrenching assignments, and I will always remember that around midnight on a Saturday when the rat wax were due, there would be a few dozen students racing for the slot where they could deposit their whack on time. Generally, there were no right or wrong answers to the case. What one was graded on was the quality of their argument and the effectiveness by which one made his or her argument. It was great training, but not a lot of fun. And now we come to texting, the texting era. There is an old saying that less is more. People with cell phones are exchanging text messages, instant messaging on their home computers, or communicating on Twitter where the number of characters is limited and are changing the way communications takes place worldwide. Ideas are shared in a kind of shorthand that is being, being invented on the fly, but we still understand it, or at least our kids do. We are living in a rapidly advancing world where, thanks to technology, Access to information on a worldwide scale is exploding. News events worldwide have live coverage. Social media connects billions of people, and information exchange between individuals or groups of individuals is absolutely mind-boggling. It is inevitable, therefore, to see language compression of some sort, and it is becoming clear that whether we like it or not, it is happening. It is on the rise and it is becoming a principal means of communications between our youth. Whether or not this is good or bad is moot. We will just have to deal with it. Recently I was riding a commuter train when four young teenage women entered the car and sat across from me. While I'm not in the habit of people watching, I couldn't help but notice that all during the 30-minute ride, each of the girls had her face buried in her smartphone and was rapidly texting. Throughout the trip, they appeared not to look at one another or speak. Each was busy having texting conversations, and their fingers were simply flying around the small keyboard. Their social interaction was not eye to eye, but keyboard to keyboard. I don't think they were texting one another, because not once did I see any of them look up and at the others. 
I looked around the car a bit, and from what I could see, there was a lot of texting going on and very little one-on-one -on -one conversation. This was not, not only the only occurrence that I've ever witnessed on a commuter train, but it was certainly a small sample of how young people engage in social communications these days. On the education front, there is considerable debate about how text speak is affecting student performance and learning in the classroom. Certainly there is an effect on grammar because the traditional rules of grammar are simply ignored in text speak or more likely new rules of grammar are currently being invented. Evidence regarding the effects that text speak and texting are having on student understanding of the English language and its proper structure is mixed. In some cases studies show that grades are suffering. Others such as in Great Britain conclude the opposite. We just don't know. There is also evidence that text messages is helping students. Students are engaged more than ever in reading and writing, albeit on their smartphones. Furthermore, one particular study showed conclusively the strong and positive relationship between texting and literacy. We do know that individuals are communicating ideas, sophisticated ideas, with fewer words. We also know that the text speak shorthand can convey even more than an idea. It can convey feelings and attitudes. Text speak, in some sense, enables users to communicate with one another on an equal basis and create a sort of mutual bond by incorporating abbreviation of symbols that not only have traditional meaning, but emotions as well. Some studies point out that texting uses a different language than traditional English and that what students are experiencing is the same as those who speak multiple languages. They seem to know how to speak and or write traditional English and have the code translation ability to transfer these thoughts into the text speak language. They can deconstruct a sentence into text speak and back. That is not all that bad. There are many instances where teachers are using text speak in the classroom to facilitate learning and to connect more closely with students. The idea is, if you can't beat them, join them. Now whether this works or not is debatable, but some teachers are very creative in their integration of text speaks into their courses. Let's face it, texting is simple, concise, and compatible with virtually every mobile device, operating system, and wireless carrier. In fact, according to the Pew Research Center, 97% of Americans who own a smartphone use it to send or receive text messages, demonstrating that mobile messages is one of the most widely used features. But text messaging can be problematic. Of course, you should never text and drive. That is a real problem. But it can be problematic in the world of business. When you think of the countless regulatory, legal, and general risk and brand management challenges that companies must manage today, you might think that email and other official communications and social media accounts and corporate websites and so forth are the only content type that need to be archived or supervised. Nevertheless, text messages must be considered too because in many instances they are used to conduct company business. Sending text messages between mobile devices is now one of the key ways that employees connect with one another and their customers, and those records need to be maintained for completeness. Here are three business risks regarding text messaging. First of all, the legal risk. 
Text messages can be requested as part of an e-discovery or litigation event, since texts are often considered relevant electronically stored information within an organization. Second, the reputation risk. The use of text messaging without the proper monitoring protections or guidance in place can also leave a company susceptible to brand problems, an effect on their reputation. And third, the regulation risk. In highly regulated industries, text communications need to be retained and supervised. There have been recent rulings that reinforce how text messages are classified as business records. They're subject to subpoena. So in the business world, take extra care and caution when you text. Improper texting can come back to haunt you. The bottom line is this. Make no doubt about it. Texting is here to stay. In a sense, we've become a multilingual country where we might engage one another in our native language verbally while at the same time holding a texting conversation with someone else far away in a language which a decade ago would have been unrecognizable. Instant messages are common and they're having a major effect on communications. But whether the outcome of this recent phenomenon is good or bad, it is not clear. Certainly texting speeds up the communications of thoughts but that might not have the beauty of good poetry. Finally, we're not forgetting about two relatively new communications tools, Twitter and Facebook. The impact of these two powerful communications tools will be discussed in detail in the Technology Skill Program. Now, in episode number two next week, we'll talk about the production skill. In the meantime, give some thought to these critical skills, and again they are communications, production, information, analysis, technology, interpersonal, time management, and continuous education. So until next week, my name is Charlie Jett, and I thank you all for joining me as we continue on our journey that is all about skills. Thank you for listening to this episode of All About Skills. To learn more information about the critical skills, be sure to visit itsallaboutskills.com for access to resources like blogs, field studies, published books, and more about how to learn, how to use, and how to teach this important content. That's exclusively available on itsallaboutskills.com. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode so we can continue to help you learn, master, and excel by using critical skills right here on All About Skills.